0: All right. Good morning again, church. There we go. Felt some love over here. Thank you for being awake. Thank you for being here. I don't get this chance a whole lot, so I um, will take the opportunity to give you a little life update. One that is pretty significant, I must say. Uh, This past Thursday, me and my bride we celebrated 15 years of marriage. (laughs) <laughs> now, you applaud either for like, oh, that's 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 really really great, or like, woo, dude, you didn't blow it, good job. That's kind of how I feel. Like I didn't, I did haven't blown it yet. Um, I'm so so thankful for the gift of my bride in my life. Um, thank you. There was a, we were able to get away for a couple of days, and it was some thanks to some of the our friends here. So thank you guys for that. Um, uh, but one of the things that I love to remind the church of before and it's so fitting for this time uh, i've done it before and i mean i think it's fitting maybe every time that we have an opportunity to speak just to remind you who you are I'm to remind you who you are as a jumping off point for us as we get into god's word this morning together and if you want to be turning there we're going to be in the uh, book of nehemiah um we're going to skip across, skip a rock across Nehemiah, let it skip a couple of times, and hopefully it's going to land in chapter four. That's the end of where we'll be. We will be in chapter one at first, though, so if you just turn, open to the book of Nehemiah. But as you're opening that, um, I want to think there was a conversation with Peter and with Jesus. It happens, uh, and we get to read it in Matthew. And they're talking, and, and Jesus is talking to him about the church. And he says that it is the, the church. Nothing else, but it is the church that is when it is doing and it is acting the way that it was intended to do and act, that it is that church that the gates of hell itself cannot stand up against. And so you and I in this room, who are sons and daughters of God, we are the church. And he is telling you and me that, that we are the most powerful force that is on this planet. It is not a man. It is not a nation. It is not a button. It is none of those things that is the most powerful thing on this planet. It is the church. And so I recognize anytime that I get to stand here, I am addressing the most powerful force that's on the planet, and I do not ever take it lightly. But I want you to know that that's who we are, and there is a great calling that comes with that kind of responsibility, that kind of power. There's a great calling, there's a great pressure that is put on the church. It is not just a gathering of people to come here and sing and have church yes and amen like we've already had this morning. Right? It's, it's not just this, but it is what we do as we leave out of here. It is what we do sometimes even just while we're here in serving and loving one another. So important that we do these things the way that God has called us to do them. And so as we move into the book of Nehemiah, a little bit of background. Some of you may know Nehemiah, um, and this is just going to be a refresher. But some of you, you know what, let me, let me get you on board. Nehemiah, if there's a major theme that is that in Nehemiah, it is the restructure and rebuilding of Jerusalem. Done by, um, in an incredible, miraculous kind of way but they didn't just fall into place that way so that is the kind of the major theme that takes place and so the people of israel the jewish people man they just they had they had it rough i mean their history is just back and forth i mean they find themselves enslaved and then they finally get out and they and they they make it out and and then they wander around for a while and then they find the the place and then eventually they get taken over again um and so there's this, this the Babylonian exile, so they're taken over by the Babylonians, and then as they get released out of Babylonia, right, so uh, there was a guy named um, Cyrus that took that over, and so then they just kind of, they're able to get released, and they go back home to Jerusalem, only to find that it is just in ruin. It's just been destroyed, and that's where they're living. This is about 50 to 60 years before Jesus, and this is where they're at, and their life is just, it's not great. They don't have a lot of structure. There's not you know, a lot of commerce is really happening. They're just surviving, and they're scared, and it's, no, it's not good. I mean, each day they're living in fear because of the people who are outside that are constantly taking full advantage of them. If they needed something, they would just come and raid them. A dude by the name of Sanballat. I don't know what kind of a name, but sounds like a dude that would come and raid Jerusalem because that's what he continually did. But there were several leaders like that. That would just continually come and, and make this moment very difficult for the people in Jerusalem. And so, as, as we read God's word, aren't you amazed? Anybody love the Bible? Come on, like, you just love the Bible. Like, if you don't love the Bible, there's a good chance that you're not reading it. Because it is, it is amazing. Because you can really open it anywhere you want. All right, so as I'm reading Nehemiah, it is unbelievable how it fits to where I'm at in life right now. It fits. I mean, like, how is the restructuring of a city fit with your life? Like, that's what God does. I know, it's weird, right? But that's why the Bible is so phenomenal that that we can take a theme, and that's what I want to do, is I want to pull out of the, what I believe that God has been able to, to show me because of the the things that I've read and things that I've heard and where I'm at in my life, like God speaks. And so anywhere you're at, the Bible is living. It is alive. It is amazing. So if you allow yourself to just dig into the word, wherever it is, wherever you're at in your life, God will speak to you. It will apply. It will fit. He will use the word to be able to guide you, navigate you, wherever it is that he needs you to be. And that's my prayer for this morning as we dig into God's word that he will guide us and navigate us into more of what he wants us to be as his church so that this church knows what the church should be like and that this community would know what this church should be like. So this book affirms in all ways the importance that we are better together. it It is the epitome of the people coming and rallying together but something a little bit deeper than that, something that kind of hangs in the balance is what I see is happening for the next generation. The next generation was hanging in the balance in this story, and I never really paid that much attention until I like see it again, looking deeper into it. So let me give you this as a jumping-off point for this. When we bond together, it has the potential to affect how the next generation sees God. When we bond together, we have the potential to impact and affect how the next generation Sees God because don't you know that in Jerusalem that there were kids and there were teenagers, there were kids being born, people were still living, right? So that is taking place, and don't you know that this is the life that they knew? Maybe some of them were part of exile, right? But but don't you know that they were here in this moment of of a lot of difficulty, living in fear, constant fear that. They possibly even got tired of hearing the stories of their, their parents and their grandparents' God. Maybe they would probably gotten disillusioned by the version of their, their parents' or grandparents' God. And we're a little turned off by it saying things like, you know, if, if there's really this guy named Joshua that could blow a trumpet and the walls of a city, they were able to take over a city with a trumpet. You're telling me that, and that's great, but come on. Like, we need that right now. I need that God today. And you're telling me that there was this guy named Moses, right? And, I mean, Joshua may have been like a middle-aged guy, but Moses, like, that guy was seasoned. <laughs> right? You can't call people old, especially in church. They get mad at you. Right? So, so he was a really seasoned follower of Jesus. Right? Following God. He was seasoned at it. And, like, he followed up until he went away. I mean, it was, all right, so... Come on, like, we don't get to take a break. We don't get to say, I've done my time. That's not how, that's not how it works in God's economy. Like, if we we're his, that, that transaction for salvation, it wasn't just a charity gift. It was us giving our life to him. Right, and so it's up until we don't have life anymore that we are giving to him. And so, so Moses, this old guy, raises a stick and parts a sea yeah, you want to tell me stories like that, but, and that's great. I love hearing about God back in the day, but what about God right now? You want to tell me that there was a, maybe even a teenage boy that with a rock not just killed a guy, but like made an entire trained army flee in fear. <laughs> you want to tell me these are great stories, but, but what happens when all of these things are being spoken over them about how great God used to be, and there's no evidence of how God, great God is today, then don't you know there's a lot of skepticism that starts taking place. They become skeptics. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I are a skeptic, aren't you? I mean, like, I, I, I have a hard time sometimes believing that things are really, really true. I was like, man, you don't have to prove that. Let me, let me test if that's true or not. You, it's not true because I say it's true. It's not true because you say it's true. It's only true if it's true. So let's test the truth. Right? So that's what I'm after. I want to know the truth. So let's test these things. And that's kind of where, I, where I'm, I'm at. I'm, I'm a skeptic often. I'm cynical often. It's just in me. But I want to know that it's, that it's, that it's true. And, and don't you believe that they probably at some point was just like, because of their skepticism, They even would, like, start having conversations with their families. Like, you know, I don't want to go to Saturday school today, right? (laughs) Some of y'all get that. Um, There's this little lamb that I got, and I don't think that, I think he's cute. And I don't believe that, I want to sacrifice this one. You know, like I don't feel like I don't even know that it's necessary. Like you're saying that it is. I'm not really sure. I'm I'm skeptical of that. So so this life that you're telling me that I need to live, I don't even know if I need to live it. So I'm really skeptical of that. And and please know that this is not just Jerusalem. Like we have opportunities, right, with with students, kids, like when you get them in a comfortable space to where they can really verbalize the things, they there's a lot of doubt that is among us. There's a lot of doubt, and I'm, I don't, I'm not afraid of doubt because I think doubt is the place where you find answers. But so when these things get verbalized, it's not a negative thing, but it is, but it's apparent. It is real. It is here. There, I, the God gets to have an opinion. We have, we have. This this often becomes a problem that God actually has an opinion. Like, man, He's supposed to just kind of let it, just kind of become. You know, it's okay if it's this way, and we let, we want to we want God to be compromising. Not actually have things that are absolute. We, we struggle in our culture with a God that has absolutes. That it is one way and that's the way that it has to be. I mean, I, I just feel like he should be able to call the shots of that since he created everything. And that we just need to get on board with him and quit trying to mold him into what we like, but us let him mold us into who he needs us to be. That's what, that's what we're doing. That's what it's for, bless you. But we become become skeptics. And skepticism is very apparent and very real, but, but it gets a little bit worse. What makes it worse? What makes it worse? Hear this. Is that a lack of evidence actually validates the skepticism. A lack of evidence, a lack of truth, a lack of there actually being some proof that God is who he is. It validates skepticism. So people actually start believing they really don't need God. They really don't need church. We really don't need the things that you've called us to do to live spiritual lives. I mean, we've moved from the church, early church. They were together 24-7 to, really, we moved to if people attend a service maybe once or twice a month, they feel like they're regular active attenders. There's, a, there's a, dis, a distant cry between the, the hearts of those two things. Like We want to be involved with another because this is the most important thing that we're going to be doing on this planet. What we do spiritually, our spiritual fingerprint that we leave with God's power through our lives is the most important thing that's going to happen with our lives. It's what's going to be left behind. It's not going to be. Jesus is very clear. Don't store up treasures on earth. Store them up in heaven. He's very clear about that. And the only way that we're storing up treasures in heaven, that's spiritual. And he is clear that it's not about the physical things of this world that we so desperately want to build up and cling on to. But we also have students that end up saying things like, on Sunday morning, I just don't think I want to go to church today. Now, that might be because they want to sleep. Mine do. But... It could be because there's levels of, like, I don't even know why that's even important. And the answer that we find to this is in the book of Nehemiah. Because there is a, another, there's a generation that is looking for some validation That what we are saying to be true is actually true. And the person of who God is is actually who he is. And that they get to recognize that there is a, a God that loves. They need to know that they are loved. They need to know what it's like to be connected to their creator. And have the power of God following them and pushing them and guiding them. But they don't recognize these things when we choose not to lean in on who God has called us to be as the church, when we don't fill in the places that he's called us to fill in. So when we look, Nehemiah was a doer. He was a doer. And he believed this, that a need seen was an assignment given. Because he got wind of this problem. And the first thing that he does is acts. But he acts in a very spiritual way. So the first thing that he does, all right, so he, he believed that there was a, if there was a need that has been seen, then that was an assignment given to him. Because don't you know, it's very easy for us to see a problem, to see a need, and then to just point it out. There's a problem over there. Isn't that easy for us to do? Man, don't you know that there's a problem over there? And then we can rally and talk about the problem that's over there and tell everybody else, that there's a problem over there, but there's a chance that if you've seen a problem, there's a chance that you've seen the problem, and that somebody else didn't see the problem, because maybe God needed you to see the problem, because you were part of the solution. Are you with me, church? Are we all together still? And there's a reason that, that God, like if, if there's a carpenter that shows up into this room, he might see some problems and some flaws in the room that, you know what, I'm definitely not going to see, because that's not what I do, right? Why? Because that's where they're geared, that's where their minds at. And so they will see things physically that way. So don't you know that if you recognize that there are spiritual things, spiritual problems that God is probably prompting you and that is how he pieces together the body. You'll have a gift, and God's trying to show you you have this gift, and he wants to move you towards that. And then he says, hey, you have a gift up here. And then all the people are moving into their gifts, the problems they recognize and say, hey, I'm not just going to point out the problem. I'm going to be a part of the, the solution to the problem. And then we all get to gather as the church and see what the church is all about. Then it is functioning in a way that the gates of hell, there's no, there's no, no stopping us. We become unstoppable when we recognize that it's not just something that we point out but that we move into. Sure, there's, there's, there's no church that's going to be perfect. If you know that there's a church that's perfect, don't join it. Right? I'm not going to go because I'll mess it up. There's no church. So there's obviously going to be problems within church, definitely outside in our community. Come on, can we point out that there's a lot of struggles and issues in the community? When we see these things, that is very, very possibly... God calling us to this. So the first thing that we need to do, I think lessons that we can learn from Nehemiah, the first thing we need to do is we want to name what's broken. Find the problem. What is the problem? Let's name it. That's the, that's the piece that is broken. See, Nehemiah, the story begins in Nehemiah 1. He is in a place called Susa, serving really as a slave, but, but, but closely to a king King Artaxerxes, and he hears this news about Jerusalem. He's like 800 plus miles away from Jerusalem, and he hears this news about Jerusalem, and here's what he does. Nehemiah 1.3. This is a a start the rock. We'll throw it out. It says, They said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile, so that came back, are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's walls have been broken down and the gates have been burned. And then Nehemiah responds in a very spiritual way, manner. deeply spiritual manner and he learns when he learns about this need and this brokenness and this problem in verse number 4 he responds. It says when I heard these words I sat down and I wept. I mourned for a number of days fasting and praying. <clears throat> I mean, praying we get, but this guy fasted. <laughs> I mean, that's probably the one of the most skipped over words in the Bible. Right? But he recognized that spiritual things are more important than physical things, and fasting is one of the spiritual disciplines that helps us to get our physical things in check so that the spiritual things can surface. Right? That's one of the spiritual I mean, that's why fasting is so important, and if it's never been a part of your journey, you should definitely lean in on that because it'll help us all to get our physical things in check. Maybe our bellies is part of that. Maybe, maybe that's one of the things that we need to have in check. But So he wanted to respond in a spiritual manner. because this is how people who serve a great big God respond. Isn't it? Now, you got kids, there's kids around you somewhere in your life. When there's a problem in my house, this is what I normally hear, Daddy! I'm on, I gotta go fix a problem, something broke or somebody, touch somebody or got too close to somebody's space I mean I, so so daddy to the rescue because there was a problem but come on isn't this exactly how we are to respond when we recognize that there's a problem i'm no match for this world's problems they're big and they seem very daunting so what should it what should we do daddy calling out to the one who steps over the enemy right? This is the one that we're calling on. We, we have to recognize that this is our first response, and this is what he does, because he don't want to miss, God, what do you want me to do? I've heard about this problem. I don't want to just point out, say, somebody needs to go fix that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to mourn for them, yes, and I'm going to fast, and I'm going to pray, and, it, and for many of us, that would, if it would have ended right there, we would have felt pretty good about Nehemiah, wouldn't we? Because What if you were able to say, yeah, I fasted and prayed about that problem? Okay. That seems like it's just a really, really good thing to do, and it is. Don't get me wrong, it is. But we have to make sure that in our fasting, in our prayer, that God is not calling us to action. That God is not moving us in a direction that he wants us to go to be a part of the solution. It is not just something that we can check off of a box to say, like, I've prayed, all right, I even fasted. No. It is okay to expect God to do a miracle, but it is not okay to wait for one. It is okay to expect that He is capable of doing something unbelievable, but it's not okay to just sit back and be like, all right, God, I prayed for it, go do it. No, God, what do you need me to do? If you need me to do something, I'm in. It's, it's like rallying Christ. It's go time for, for God's people, and He's like, all right, there's a problem. All right, God, do you need me? Like, where, where do you? Send me. Here I am, Lord, send me, let me go. Does that sound familiar? That is, that is language that God's people need to speak to him. Yes, we fast, and yes, we pray for the problems, but we don't just end with him. Because sometimes the answer is you. Because sometimes that's what God is saying. The answer is, is you and the me. And if the church is inactive to the problems that arise in our community, then we forfeit the credibility that we would have in the community. Please hear that the church is inactive to the problems that are in this community, then we forfeit our credibility. The church, we, I think we've said this, like, here's a sobering question. It's like, if the church were to not be here, would the community really feel it? Like, come on. The answer to this is if we do this part right, then absolutely. The church, would be, the, this community would be devastated because God's people are the answer to the problems because we carry salvation. We carry all that is God, and it is all that this world needs. And that is on us, church. So we must look internally. So moving down. Nehemiah does something in verse number 11. It's just one part of this. It's very significant. It says, at this time, I was the king's cupbearer. He does two things right here. Two things. He was pointing out not just who he was, but who he wasn't. Nehemiah is pointing out not just who he was. He's letting us know, because he, he's writing this, like, hey, this time I was the king's cupbearer. He was letting not just who he was, but, but who he was. He wasn't, he wasn't a priest. Right? He, wasn't, he wasn't a pastor. He was like, hey, now, all right, I've gotten the call, so of course you know, the hired the paid professionals, they're the ones that have to go do it. No, he wasn't one of those. He was a cupbearer to the king. <laughs> and, and really, in, in many respects, he was disposable. Because like he was if anybody was gonna poison or kinda go after the king, like he was the one that's going down first. Right? But get this, he was also a little valuable to the king because like they didn't want him to get a cold. They didn't want him to be sick because the king's drinking and eating after him. <laughs> right? So he had a little bit of value to the king. So so even in this time, as a cupbearer, like, so know that our place, that what we're supposed to do for the kingdom of God has really nothing to do with our profession. It's not about what we do. It's really about how God has blessed each of us. And so that he took what he had and he leveraged it for the kingdom of God. And that is exactly the, what we have. We must leverage God's blessing over us over our lives. If we have a little bit of status, we have a little bit of influence. You might have influence over a lot of people. You might have a deep influence over a few people, but if whatever it is that you have, those are the blessings that God has put on you that you can use and leverage for the kingdom of God. If you have resources, if you have privilege, if you have knowledge, if you have connections, if you have finances, then all of these things, every blessing that God has given us can be used for spiritual gain and the, and the furthering of the kingdom of God, which is, again, the most important things that we're going to ever do on this planet. In my seat, in my role, I get to partner with people who say these phrases. Hey, I'm a pilot. I will be happy to teach high schoolers. <laughs> hey, I'm a mom, and I will be glad to lead a small group of girls. I'm a business owner, and I will be glad to... Form a, a greeting team that makes students feel welcome. I'm a teacher, and I went and gave up part of my summer that I may be able to go on conference with students because these are people. It's not their profession, but it's what they saw as a need. Come on, don't y'all know that there's needs when you and when you recognize there's needs and you lean in on them, you get to see a part, be a part of the change that is taking place in students' lives, in communities' lives, in children's lives, in a classes' lives. Wherever it is that you see the problem that you're leading on, you get to be a part of that solution and you get to be the one that's speaking. Your life then becomes a place that is resonating stories what God is doing. And that's, what, that's who we get to be. <clears throat> when you, the reason that this is important is proximity always changes your perspective. When you get close to something, anybody have... Like one of those awareness banners somewhere, maybe on your car, like this. This is like the little little banner. Some of them are for, for cancer. Some of them are like autism. They are all the, there's there's just thousands of them. You know what I'm talking about? Just the little the little banners, the little ribbons are the reason that people have those. It would be very easy for people that have not been impacted to just not know what they are. Because sometimes I see one, ones like, oh, what is that one? I don't I don't know. I've not seen that one. But that person, they had been close to that problem. They've been close to that that struggle and so it is close to them. They are now a person that is like rallying for, hey, people need to know about this problem and they wanna be a part of the solution now because when you get close to an issue, it gets close to you. How many of you ever been on a mission trip? Yeah, so the ones who've gone and been away, whether that's like foreign or like next door, like where you've been on missions, you start recognizing and seeing the needs of something because you've gotten close to the needs. And so you start feeling like, man, I want to, I want, I see that this people need to know about this. Right? This is how it works. This is this is what I'm talking about. That we have to sometimes just get close to the problem so that we can be a part of like rallying the support that is needed or being what we need to be for that problem to even know exactly what we can even do for that problem. I don't imagine that Nehemiah is like, oh, I got, I got I know exactly how to rebuild this city. He's a cupbearer. <laughs> Don't think that, I think he just went and it's like, I'm gonna figure it out. Because I need to go. God is calling me. He's, he's let me see this and, I, and it's time for me to go. <laughs> There's something to recognize as we get close now to chapter four and let this rock sink and land a plane. All right? One thing I want us to see is, yes, we are better together and how we do this is gonna impact how a generation sees God. How we do this Talking about being called to do what God has called us to do is going to impact how a generation sees God. But recognize this truth is that everybody that Nehemiah needed to rebuild this this town was already in the town. Everybody that he needed to rebuild the town was already in the town. Many of the the same people that had been in this community were the same ones that had been doing nothing. (laughs) The community doesn't just need someone else. This community doesn't just need someone else. It needs you. It needs me. We're the answer. We have to be very careful that we don't try to outsource God's kingdom's work. The church's work is not for the government to do. It's not. The government wouldn't have to do anything, I think, if the church was really hitting on all cylinders. (laughs) And so then we get to argue about what they are doing and what they shouldn't be doing and we point fingers at the problems of that when really if we think about it long enough the problem's probably a lot closer to home. (laughs) And we need to own that we can be a part of the solutions because we can show love. God has called the church to be love to the community. Not the government necessarily to be love to the community but that we would be the love to the community that they need. (laughs) We... Or the church. <clears throat> so what Nehemiah ends up doing next, probably a stroke of genius. <laughs> I find it to be just genius. And this is where I really felt my spirit just, just kind of connect with what he was doing. He rallied families and parents to a higher sense and level of responsibility. Read this. He describes it with this scene: <clears throat> Nehemiah 4, verse 13 and 14. He says, So I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with their swords and spears and bows. After, I made an inspection. I stood up. Alright, let me pause. Let me pause. Let me pause. Pretty sure Nehemiah went and painted half his face blue for this. Because this was a speech. He was ready for this. He was, he was I, mean, I mean, you can feel it, right? Because he's writing this. And so he's like, I stood up, right? I stood up and I said, nobles and officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of all the people that are coming over on us, right? Because so like, they were continually being bombarded by people. He said, don't be afraid of them. But remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen. For your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Come on, he's saying for us that we must fight for the Grange. Fight for your church. Fight for our sons and our daughters and our homes and our spouses. He's calling us to do this. He, he find, find the weak spots in our homes. Find the weak spots in our church. Find the weak spots in our community and say, we are the ones then that are going to step up and fill the gaps. He's called us to be the ones. that steps up. Like, so, so, come on, parents, grandparents, we got some, some GGs in here, some Pop Pops. You know who you are. Like, I had a T, who stood in the gap for me. I remember go, walking into her house and could hear her praying in the other rooms for me. It was amazing. I can still hear her voice standing in the gap on my behalf, on my family's behalf, on my brother's behalf. I could hear her praying my name out loud. I'm like... I still remember that there was a woman that was standing in the gaps for me, so come on, this is exactly what God has called us to do, that we are to stand in the gaps for our families, to recognize it's the spiritual things that we need to care about for our families way more than the physical things. And that we find these problems, we recognize that we point them out, We name what is broken. We don't just expect there to be a miracle in in something, but we are part of the miracle. And then we leverage everything that we can because we know how important it is that we do everything that we can to make a difference in it. Because we're that passionate about it. We get close to it and then we find out and know that we really have all that we need right here to make it happen. Have everything that we need. We are to be the gap fillers. And there are so many opportunities. Well, if you're not volunteering somewhere in this church come on we will make up a spot if there's not one but there are plenty <laughs> but it takes us all right? everybody can't do everything we know that but everybody can do something and everybody should be doing something so here get this and if there's a band if you guys want to come we can end up <clears throat> and I'm not sure that I can say this it could happen 100% of the time but this happened with Nehemiah that when they responded the way that they were supposed to, Nehemiah rallied the people, and they responded, and they heard what he was saying. It's like, hey, remember, our God is big. Step up. Go to where you are needing to go. Be in the gaps. When you do that, we, we know from the conversation that Peter had with Jesus that the, the gates of hell, they can't even withstand. Like In this instance, the enemy never even tried to attack when they saw what was taking place. I think it reminds me of this story. I was on a bus. I rode a bus a little bit when I was a kid. Me and my brother would get home on a bus, and there was a bully on the bus, one that would pick on me a little bit. Um, and, and one day he was telling me what he was going to do to me when we got off of the bus, and I was scared to death. I was shaking. Like, oh, gosh, this guy's bigger than me. Why is he picking on me? And I get off of the bus, and there He was. But I forgot that my brother was on the bus. <laughs> and he got off of the bus and he was standing behind him. My brother was bigger than both of us, and that kid did nothing. <laughs> we stay close to the one that we know is bigger than us because we can't handle these problems. But our great, big, awe-inspiring, great Lord, remember him. He can. And our enemy is, we sang it in the song, the enemy is under his feet. We get to be free, and we get to live in this kind of way. We get to live knowing that these problems are no match for our God. Church, these problems in the community, these problems in our church, they're no match for our God. We just gotta get on board with Him. (laughs) It's for us to do that. We could live lives that are generating stories for God, or we can live lives where we just hear stories about God. I think we are called to live lives that generate stories about God. So I wonder, is that you? Is there a gap? Is there a a place that you need to leverage? Let's stand up together and so respond. If you feel like there might be a place that you need to be, something that you need to do as far as maybe being more active in the church, then come on, lay it before God. Maybe you want to get closer to one that you're not even sure about, then get closer to one, but let God know it and remember our awe-inspiring God and come stand in the gap for this community, this church, and for your family. Let's sing together.